You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 101. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcast app. And you can find show notes, examples, discussion, and a lot more at codingblocks.net. Send your questions, feedback, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Jerzak. <laughs> and I'm Michael Outlaw. And I'm John Stone. He's that, back. That's right. John's <laughs> back with the, for us for another uh, special episode, so we hope you enjoy it. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, a monitoring platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Now, Datadog provides dashboarding, alerting, application performance monitoring, and log management in one tightly integrated platform so you can get end-to-end visibility quickly. Yeah, and you can visualize key metrics, set alerts to identify anomalies, and collaborate with your team to troubleshoot and fix issues fast. Try it yourself today by starting a free 14-day trial and also receive a free Datadog t-shirt. Head to www.datadog.com slash coding blocks to see how Datadog can provide real-time visibility into your application. Again, visit www.datadog.com slash coding blocks to sign up today. All right. So who did this numbers game thing? <laughs> All right. So that was me. Uh, so I've had a lot of fun with like, you know, some interesting stats and, and making a game of some of the interesting stats uh, with you guys recently. So I thought, you know, Hey, maybe we would do that some more. So that sound like something of interest. I, I like stats. All right. So this comes from an article that was published just January 2nd of this month or the second of this month. So amazing social media statistics and facts, 122 of them. We won't go through all 122, but let's say, let me see what would be a good one here. How many MySpace users do you think there are? MySpace? MySpace. <laughs> What's MySpace? Uh oh, we're starting it off. Awesome. Um so let's let's put things into perspective. Sure. Facebook. Facebook has two point two seven one billion users Jeez, with a man. B. All right. So, MySpace being the one that came first, how many things it's got? So, like the peak of MySpace or after it got bought out and turned into a music site? We're talking about now. Now. Right? Oh, so like the weird music site. So, yeah. like 50 people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. We got 50 people. I was going to say 50,000. 50,000 people. Well, you got to find a point of reference. So, like my blog gets like, I don't know. A thousand views a year, so I figure they got to be at least double that. So I'm gonna say two thousand. <laughs> wow, man. Well, I guess Alan is technically technically closest at 15 million users. What? Oh wow! I don't know anybody on that side. Isn't that the one that uh, Justin Timberlake bought or or put money into? Yeah, and they had yeah. the sideways scroll. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like the craziest design. Just concept. make it hard for people. How many mouse? people are still using Friendster? You should check that one. Oh, Friendster, yeah, my first. You know, surprisingly, that wasn't in here. Mm. So, yeah. Now, how about this one, though? I thought this would be interesting because I shared the Facebook one with you. Or Google+. Plus. What do you think the count of Instagram users is? Mm. 
And I say that because Facebook bought Instagram. I'm going to say 650 million. Users. What? 50 million. I'm going to say two bill. No. Two bill. Two bill. No. I say everybody who's on Facebook minus grandma and papa, and that would be half. So half of whatever Facebook is. So you're saying 1.65 billion somewhere in that ballpark. No, no, no. You said 2.71. So 1.1 billion, we'll call it roughly. Well, I'm going to give the win to John. 1 billion users. Wow. Wow. There's a lot of people on it. That's a lot of folks. Like, I keep forgetting it exists. Like, I'll pull it up like, wow, everybody's posting on here. Yeah. You know, but. How many many users do you think that are on the internet? Well, it's got to be more than 2.2 billion. Come on. It's got to be, I'm going to go with 3 billion. Because the current population, according to this article now, is 7.7 billion people, total worldwide population. How many users are on the internet? 3.5 bill. 3.5. Wrong. It's 4.2. Wow. 4.2 billion users. There are now, here's where it's crazy. 4.2 4.2 billion users, there are 3.397, so almost 3.4 billion active social users. Wow. So active social media users. That's a lot. Yeah. How many of those are bots? Yeah. yeah. I mean, what I got a bunch of different of accounts. Bots? <laughs> Specifically Russian bots. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, I've got like tw- five Twitter accounts, so. Well, okay. So how many how many accounts do you think the average person has? Oh, across all of them? Jeez. Uh, wait, wait. We're not talking about multiple Facebook or multiple Twitter. We're talking about just total social accounts. Across all, how on average, how many, the average social media accounts? Five. Five? They're really close. Five and a half. 5.54, wow. technically. Uh, let's see. What would be another good one here? I don't know what the median is. <laughs> now, here's what's weird, though. The, like, uh, this... From the same article, it says on average people have five point five four social media accounts, but then it says internet users have an average of seven point six social media accounts. So I'm like, uh, what does that mean? I don't like. <laughs> Wait, if you're on social uh, media, aren't you by effect using the internet? I think it counts pets. Like people have a lot of pets who have social media. Uh, That's true. That's true. Yeah. My hamster or, has a Twitter account if you guys want to follow it. Or maybe or maybe internet users could take into consideration bots. Maybe. I don't know. This right? Like because they're like think of how many bots are on Twitter. Like bots are people too. Yeah. Right, guys? Well, yeah. They have rights. And like eighty percent of stats are made up anyway, so whatever. <laughs> I see what you did there. Uh how much do you think is spent on social network advertising in twenty sixteen? Jeez. Now, I'm going to put this in perspective. In 2015, $8.3 billion, uh was estimated to be earned from advertising. Yeah. I'm going to say it's $3 a user. Yeah. Was that like $9 billion? That was $9 billion. Uh, no. Well, uh, man, you know what? I'm going to go with how many? How much did you say was earned in 2015? Social networks earned an estimated of eight point three billion from advertising in twenty fifteen. Twenty billion in twenty sixteen. Okay. 
I mean, Instagram got bought for one billion, so I gotta think it's at least twenty-one billion. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Everybody go on one plus tonight. You got dunked on. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Uh, uh, well, the answer is forty billion. God, forty twenty sixteen. Wow, four X earnings. I've seen the best minds of my generation Dude. advertising. <laughs> so, how about this? Uh, Fill in the blank. Facebook now sees blank average daily video views from 500 million users. They blank, autoplay, right? The <laughs> blank average daily video views. I don't know. I probably watched like 20, so. 2.5 billion. 2.5 billion. Way off, my friend. Facebook now sees 8 billion average wow. daily video views from 500 million users. Wait a second. That means that that's, now that's here's 16 the, video views per person per day. Yeah, are they self-reporting these numbers? I see, that, man, <laughs> no, no, no. This was, I'm sorry. I should have said this before. This is from uh, an article. I'll have a link to it from brandwatch.com. How about this one? Uh, where to go? Uh, and Cody Box would love like a thousand video views a day. Like, <laughs> if you guys can go and hit that like button, hit subscribe, <laughs> mash that thing, that would make me feel a lot better about all those videos you guys <laughs> watching on Facebook. I didn't know about. <laughs> now, here's some good stuff up there. Here was a sad one, though. Um, we'll do another fill in the blank. U.S. adults spend an average of blank. Each day watching video on digital services. Mm. What you got, John? 1.5 hours. Oh, that's low. On internet? Oh, is that counting Netflix? Streaming, yeah. Streaming. Oh. Video digital ser- devices. Five video hours. Devices. Five hours. I guess, yeah, I guess it would be more. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say four. Yeah, I'm thinking three and a half. All right. Well, John should have stayed with his gut. Damn. U.S. What? adults spend an average of one hour, 16 minutes each day watching video on digital devices. Mm. Man, we got to work. Get back to work. I don't believe What that. are you doing? Mm. Digital devices like TVs and everything? Yeah. TVs, uh, phones, tablets, whatever. I was like giving out my number. I was like, ah, probably. People probably watch more. I don't even have cable TV. So it's like. Yeah. All my stuff streaming. How, how about this one? How much? What percentage of the of a day's queries to Google do you think are brand new queries that have never been asked before? Ooh, that's an interesting. Oh, wow. What percentage? Yeah. It's really low, right? Like 1%. I don't know. I type some, I type things in real dumb ways sometimes. It, well, Google now leads the witness, right? Like every yeah, time you start typing I mean, words, I want to say 2%. Yeah. I rely on that now. So yeah, I'm, I'm going to say 2%. Mm-mm. Every day, 15% of the day's queries have never been asked before. Wow. Mm. What percentage of Google searches do you think come from mobile devices? Mm. Oh. I'm going to say high, 75%. Yeah. That's crazy high. I'm going 40. 60%. Mm. was my second guess. John was really uh, – I'll say John was close. How's that? Mm. Uh, what about – last one about Google that I'll do – Blank percent of all internet searches are carried out by Google. Internet searches. Yeah, that's going to be up there. Yeah. Now, don't forget, you got Bing. 
What? <laughs> that changes everything. DuckDuckGo. <laughs> DuckDuckGo is great for code searches. I would say 70, 70%. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely going high. 99. I'm going high. Oh, that, that's crazy. Nobody uses Bing. Yeah, but there's China that doesn't even use Google, right? Oh. So Counting China? Oh. I mean, it said the internet. <laughs> oh, okay. China is pretty big, isn't it? They're kind of large. China gets at least 15%, so 85%. I said 75, right? I don't remember what I said. I think he said 75. Well, I'm still Googling. (laughs) Ah, 91.47% of searches are carried out by Uh, Google. Lord. Uh, What percentage of Americans do you think are on Facebook? Of Americans? Mm Mm-hmm. North, south. 85%. 85? Yeah. That sounds right. I'm going to go with that. 68%. Wow. That's pretty good. Now, if we were to break that number down a little bit, what percentage of online U.S. adults use Facebook? So I guess we're implying the kids probably bring it down because they're not using Facebook mm-hmm. as much as adults and your, our grandmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So higher. 85. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 85 again. I like it. 79%. So we're close. Okay. We're close. Uh, I don't use it. I just look at the pictures and the post every day, like six times. Isn't that using it? Yeah. No, I mean, I don't really use it. You don't type on it. <laughs> How many accounts on Twitter do you think have no followers at all? How many? How many accounts? 23%. Well, it okay. How about we start? Let's let's work our way to that question. Let How me many say, accounts like, what are do you on think Twitter? The total number of accounts are on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's helpful. Uh, Four hundred million. Four hundred million. Six hundred million. Ten billion. Six hundred million. No. Okay. Yeah. One point three billion accounts. Wow. I'm the billions. Now, out of those, how many accounts? I'm looking for a number, not a percent. Do you think have no followers at all? One million. One billion. One million. Two hundred million. Alan's got it. Closer. Two hundred and ninety-one million accounts have no followers at all. Oh. Now, out of that one point three billion accounts, how many never bothered to send a tweet? Oh wow. A lot. Yeah. Four hundred million. Uh I'm sorry, percentage. Oh. Give me a percent. Eighty. Eighty percent? Nah. Forty percent. Fifty. Fifty. Forty-four percent. Wow. Nice. Uh, let's see what else we got here. We've we've covered YouTube a lot in the past, so I'll, I'll skip that one. Um, maybe a Pinterest one, because you know we all love Pinterest. Uh, how many? What percentage of Pinterest users do you think are under the age of forty? Percentage under four. Oh, 30. 50. I'm liking Alan's number 50. Yeah. 67% of Pinterest users are under the age of 40. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So if you wanted to advertise to the youth, like that, that's the platform you need place. to be going after. Yeah. Mm. Uh, all right. So Snapchat. What percentage of Snapchat users are under the age of 25? 89. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Jeez. Uh, no, no, no way. I use the filters. Uh, there are some filter pictures of me. So I'm going to go with uh, 65. John? Uh, 46. 60% mm-hmm. of the... Oh, you know what? I said that wrong. That was of the daily users are under the age of 25. Mm. Yeah. Okay. They have 187 million active daily users. Isn't that the one where the picture disappears after? Uh, at least originally. I don't know if it's yes still does that, but yeah. Yes. It's what we would all use. As and if teenagers. you try to snapshot it, it will alert the other person as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you've done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, out of its total user base, though, what percentage are between the ages of 18 to 24? Sixty. Hold on, let me just do a random number generator here. <laughs> I feel like this is another section of the podcast designed to troll me. I'm not <laughs> going to remember any of these numbers. But, yeah, I mean, you, have, design. It's you love taking design. guesses based on your feelings, right? Yeah. 49 says random number generator. <laughs> I like it. All right, well, the answer is 78% of American 18 to 24-year-olds use Snapchat. Wow. That's crazy. 78%. That's a crazy number. Crazy high number. Yeah, I'm just going to say 50% for everything because there's a lot more numbers there in the middle than there are. Th- That's crazy. There's a whole lot of more, a whole lot of other statistics all all about, uh, uh, you know, various mobile plat or social media platforms. Um, but so I'll include a link to that in the show notes. How about one last one? Uh, that I'll tell you, more than half of YouTube views come from mobile. More than half. But That's it looks so bad there. Nah, man. What? On these new phones? Looks amazing. I'm going to have to raise my font size. So I'm going to do some more streaming stuff. That's actually one thing I do on the streaming is I lower my resolution on my on my monitor to something Ooh. crazy low. And then that way you don't have to mess around with your IDE. So... Like on my ultra wide, I'll make it, you know, something by 720, or I might even go lower just to make everything bigger for the mobile. All right. Thinking ahead. Pep 80 and size 48 pont. It, it, seriously, I, it, it, it definitely helps for watching it because otherwise, like coding videos are usually just abysmal on, on mobile. So this episode is sponsored by Clubhouse. Clubhouse is the first project management platform for software development that brings everyone together so that teams can focus on what matters, creating products their customers love. While designed to be developer first, the UI is simple and intuitive enough for all teams to enjoy using. It's really nice that it's developer focused. For example, I really like that they offer Git tips around like branching and even give you the commands to run, which is really nice as a developer, but it's still really nice to use for other people too, but it's us first. Yeah, you can log in and immediately see your work queue, your active tasks, upcoming due dates, and activity feed. And when I say like immediately see, like if you've missed a deadline, let me tell you, it's called out right there in red. You see that date that you uh, you missed, making you aware that, hey, you need to focus on that. And it's easy for people on any team to focus in on their work for a specific task or project while also being able to zoom out to see how that work contributes to the bigger picture using the FAST interface. 
With a simple API and robust set of integrations, Clubhouse also seamlessly integrates with the tools you already use every day, like Slack or GitHub, for example, getting out of your way so you can focus on delivering quality software on time. And you can sign up for two free months of Clubhouse by visiting clubhouse.io slash codingblocks. Again, that's clubhouse.io slash codingblocks, and you get your two free months and you can see what companies like Elastic, Full Story, Launch Darkly. You can see why those companies love Clubhouse. All right, so here was uh, you know another another th- topic here that I had. There was an article that caught my attention on Dev Two a while back that was the twenty nine must reads for programmers. And you know we've done a book series in the past. We've done and I. And I have thoroughly enjoyed every one of them. And we've gotten a lot of positive feedback. Everyone seems to love them. We just wrapped up the Imposters Handbook. But before that, we've done um, uh, Clean Architecture, Clean Code, uh, um, Domain-Driven Design, uh, How to Be a Programmer series. Well, Factor Up. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of great reads there. And, and just really enjoyed digging into the details. And there were two books that, like, always seem to be there like every every developer's list of books and i was like huh which one like should we do one of them and which one should it be and the two that that you always hear about are code complete and working effectively with legacy code thoughts opinions or maybe you don't like either of those choices if you john have you read either of those I don't read books. No, no. Oh, books. come on. So then Joe's the guy. Joe, you've probably read Code Complete, right? Uh, yeah, I think I, I don't know if I did cover to cover, but I would say I at least got through 80%, which is better than most things I've read. Okay. Quote, unquote, read. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think Code Complete is, is fantastic. I really like that it pulls together a lot of studies and looks at things objectively. And uh, uh, so, that I mean, I just love that book. I haven't read anything uh, in working effectively with legacy code. I have a feeling it's going to tell me to unit test stuff. Well, it's funny that you say that because in the article here on Dev2, they have a, a bunch of different categories of like, hey, here's the 29 books that you should read, but by category, right? So like if it's career, then here's your choice. If it's learning how to learn, then here's your choice. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll go through the the topics real quick personal effectiveness programming effectiveness writing code software engineering leadership program uh, i'm sorry project management advanced project management unit testing data analysis and statistics user interface slash user experience and oh, i'm sorry that was the last one so out of all of those uh you know kind of to your point joe code complete is in the category of writing code whereas working effectively with uh legacy code was in the unit testing section yeah that makes sense i i mean so my vote is you guys read a book about ocaml i think that's that is a uh a good one to read i mean there's like this new language called reason right and that's based on the ocaml syntax and he, and it's being developed by facebook who are the same guys who bring you graphql you know, React, all these different like, you know, forward uh, technologies. So a camel plus one, and also a reference back to Joe Zach talking about a camel. <laughs> you know, it, it, like we've never done a tech focused book, but like maybe it would be cool to do something like 
on a specific technology. Like even if it was like say GraphQL or something. I don't know. Maybe that's crazy talk. That could be interesting. Let us know. Hey, if you let us know what you think about that idea in the comments, then you might uh you know no, inspire I, us but also you might win i like contests. this idea like what if we did do like a deep dive on like uh a learning react or something like that but you know then i say that but then the problem with that though is like as soon as you f- try to find that book right it's already outdated oh it is yeah, yeah it really you know is. i mean like you mentioned graphql as soon as you find that graphql book it, it's outdated that's true and code complete is for like i don't know like 1991 or something and it's still pretty awesome that's the thing about certain some of these books they just stand the test of time right like the clean architecture series the clean code series we should do pragmatic programmer it's got nice easy to do chapters it's oh okay Ooh, ooh, ooh. leave a comment you might win and also leave a comment about pragmatic programmer maybe we'll do it yeah which book do you think that we should cover if that one for sure which which category you get you have an opinion on what kind of category you think that the pragmatic programmer might belong to in those categories coding, I said the coding one <clears throat> writing code yeah yeah i think it's i think it's more along the lines of like the clean code kind of holistic like how to how to like write code and also how to just deal with people and organizations and change it is not in the writing code set where is it at category. I'm soft sorry. skills uh it is in the programming effectiveness once you've mastered personal effectiveness Effectiveness, it's time to learn how to be an effective software developer. Interesting. And that's where the pragmatic programmer from journeyman to master falls. Yo, paste that into we'll the intro section for the episode. Those notes. That's, hey, so that's good. I have I have a random curious thought for you guys. Like when you when you go to focus learning something or improving upon something, do you focus more upon skills that you can apply or do you do you concern yourself with soft skills? Like if you go to listen to another podcast, are you going to learn about, Hey, how do I communicate effectively or how do I deal with other people or how do I, you know, worry about people's feelings or is it, Hey, I want to learn how to write better code. I want to learn how to make code more abstract. Like what, what's more important to you guys? Like when you sit down to do something, John, I liked your algorithm episode where you went over you know, breath first search and depth first. Cause it's just giving me new ways to do my job better. I mean, honestly. So skills like skills you can apply that are not soft skills, but they're more of the, the programming side of skills that, that you like. Yeah. And if you get good at that episode, you'll be able to get a job at one of those top companies in Silicon Valley, you know, cause they're going to ask you all those things. But yeah. Yeah. I was uh, looking at Netflix salaries the other day and it's like over 300,000 for dev jobs. Yeah. Like, and if you can get out of college and get a job doing that, like, just go there, move wherever, and just, you know, save like 5% of your salary, right? You won't even miss it. But man, when you move back to, uh, I don't know, like Omaha or wherever you're from, you're going to be doing all right. You're going to be doing all right. But I mean, those, those skills are so important for the job, too. Otherwise, your job is just going to be about moving data from here to there. I mean, those algorithms are just key to saying, hey, you know what? I can do this 50 times faster. I mean, it's just really exciting to be able to do that. So I like those topics. So yeah. what about you, Joe? Is it soft skills? Is it is it hard ability to code skills? Like what what, what do you spend your time or what's most important to you? Um, for me, uh, the things I wrestle with are, are basically kind of uh, organizational and maintenance type stuff. Like the things that I trip on are the stupid things I did last week. And so, I've, you know, I think I've said this before, like the algorithms and data structures and design patterns – 
aren't the things that I feel are bogging me down. So I'm trying to always figure out how to write more maintainable software quicker. And so that's the thing that I'd really like to get better at, but it might just be because, you know, I'm bad at those things. So it's coding related stuff though. It's not, it's not how to be a more effective communicator or anything like that. I mean, I want to do that stuff too. Like I do a lot of conference speaking and stuff now that that's a big part of it. So I, I, I want to get better at everything. Uh, so I'm a terrible person to ask. <laughs> What about you, Outlaw? I will say I was really surprised by John's answer. That was not the answer I expected you to give, John. Um, I I would say that I am kind of cyclic in, you know, where, like, I'll just, I'll take some, I'll pick a subject and then I just try to, I kind of go all in, right? Like total immersion, trying to, like, understand it. And, you know, maybe I succeed, maybe I don't. Uh, But, yeah, so it really depends. Sometimes sometimes it might be on like a technology and then sometimes it might be something a little bit more, you know, higher level, right? Like does that make sense? Yeah. It, it's funny. I think maybe just our particular the the group of people we have here right now, it, for me, I cannot stand soft skill stuff. Like I, I just I don't I don't gravitate towards listening to podcasts about it. I don't watch YouTube videos on it. How can I be a better me? Like that just yeah. does nothing for me. I don't, I don't enjoy it. Like, and, and I don't, I, I'm, I don't think I'm being non humble here, but I think because of this group of people, we have pretty decent communication skills. So maybe that's why we don't gravitate towards that. But I think they're important skills. Right. Like it's, it's a weird thing. Like I think that communication and being able to do all those things and work with other people and work effectively and communicate, it's huge. But if I'm going to sit down and spend my time, it's going to be on what's new technology that's going to solve a problem that I, that I have or that, that I see coming up or how can I improve my programming? So, you know, the algorithms that I think about, I can, I can solve a problem in a particular way or something. So. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's funny. Like I I see other podcasts out there that are are focused on like soft skill stuff, and I just don't subscribe to them. And it's because I don't know, man. It's like I, you ever get that feeling like, wait, you don't you don't know how to communicate with somebody? Like it, it feels like such a basic thing that it's it's hard for me to sometimes be like, to step back and be like, yeah, I guess I guess some people struggle with that, but I don't know. Well, to to finish my thought, though, like uh, where I expected John to say, because, uh, you know, I've heard you say many times, John, where you will say something about like, you know, I try to learn the things that I'm not good at, right? Like I try to focus my time learning something that I'm not good at. And that could be, you know, oil-based painting or, you know, uh, machine learning, right? Like it can go from one end of the spectrum to the other end of the spectrum. And that's why I was like really hoping that you were going to say that. Yeah. Kind of, I like that answer. That. I'm going to change my answer to that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like that one better. Yeah. I totally might have led the jury yeah. there, but, but I mean, you're going to do a whole episode on what I don't know yet. I mean, it seems kind of, hard. oh, no, no, no. This wasn't about like what we're going yeah. to do the episode on. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I, I guess that's the thing is it's sometimes like looking at pragmatic program, programmer or code complete or any of that kind of stuff. Like that's all things that, that seem to be tangible things that you can go work with, right? And you can measure how much better you got with it. Whereas some of the other things, it's just like, 
I feel like I got better, <laughs> but, but you know, it's, it's like this nebulous thing. Well, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's good to take like <clears throat> things like the code complete, the pragmatic programmer, uh, you know, working effectively with legacy code, clean code, all of those. They're not necessarily about a good, uh, a specific technology. So it's like, you know, here's good practices that you should incorporate into your, 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 workflow, right? Like, you know, how you should do things, structure things, name things, whatever, you know, get into these practices of unit tests, whatever. Right. And then other times you might focus something on like, Hey, I really want to understand, you know, angular, for example, right? Like I want to, I want to know how to work. So then you're not like, you know, I would hope that you put together whatever practices you've learned from those other, those other books, but you know, you're more focused on like the specific, you know, how to implement this thing, right? right. Like, how do I do this thing? And it might not be Angular. Maybe it's like, oh, hey, like, uh, I want to create some cool thing with my Raspberry Pi. Uh, what do I need to do there? Like, so it might be a little bit of hands on hardware kind of, you know, learning as well as coding at the same time. Yeah. But it's, a, it's to achieve, they're, they're both learning, but they're different kind of goals in mind. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I would say that I do think soft skills are, are more important. Kind of like John said, like way back at the beginning of episode 100, that uh, like if you can get out there and figure out how to make your customers happy, your business happy, things like that. And that's like the kind of the more valuable experience in particular technologies. A lot of times, like if you can figure out how to make customer service happy you know, and that's your job, then you're you're killing it at your job. And like ultimately, if I'm looking to hire somebody, I want someone who's going to make those customers and consumers of their goods you know, happy. And a lot of times that does mean things like communication, soft skills. But that said, I, a lot of that stuff is like, th- there can only be so much stuff said about it. So like I've already read the getting things done and the seven habits of highly effective. And I did this stuff on deliberate, you know, practice in all the books based on that. So I like, I've read a lot of this stuff so many times now and a lot of it is repeat. And so when I'm going to look for a podcast or something like, uh, you know, I'm just not ready to, to bring that in again. So even though I think it's really important, I just don't want to hear about it anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the thing, right? Like, I think it's things that can be learned, but you have to be willing to just actively try and change that stuff. And it's like you said, yeah, that's a good you, point. You only hear the stuff; it, you can hear it so many times, and if it doesn't sink in, it doesn't sink in, right? Like, it's I, I don't know. That yeah, it's, it's just it's not enough to know. Like, you know, I I know that maintaining good eye contact is important in, during presentations, but there's a difference between knowing that and being able to do it. And so, I think for me, like, I'd be better off going to and joining like Toastmasters Society or whatever rather than reading another book that's going to tell me to maintain eye contact. Really, so, a really quick way to improve your soft skills is opt for that next manager role that comes up. Like, go ahead and take that role because they'll send you to a lot of classes on uh, how to listen appropriate and all that, and then you can. You know, get another job after that as a programmer again, but then you'll have the soft skills you need. To, there you go. It is true. You know what though? I think, I think what you just said though, Joe makes a lot of sense to me is if there's a specific thing that you're trying to do, like get better at public speaking or working with employees or working with upper management or whatever, like if you go after that particular thing, that makes more sense than just listening to some self help type stuff. You know what I mean? Like, how to give effective presentations. Like that makes sense. That sounds like something that might be interesting if you got an upcoming presentation, which I think both of us do. Um, you know, that kind of stuff does make sense, but the general stuff, it's like you said, it's like rinse and repeat. And it feels like every author on the planet has done the same thing over and over. So I don't know. Anyways, every role in a company needs those soft skills though. Generally they do. 
Yeah, it, they, uh, and they're not – they are super important. It's just I, – I don't know. It feels like most people that get into particular positions either have them already or they don't, and they probably won't make it into that position if they don't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Company is just a group of people working together to try to improve the world, potentially, or, you know, suck money out of it. Right. Yeah. Something. Yeah. yeah. So – Cool. Who's got this next one up here? Oh, uh, I did that. Yeah. So I also do a lot of economic podcasts, like things like the indicator and planet money. And like, maybe I'm just, you know, getting old and paranoid and like whatever, clutching my pearls. But uh, it feels like those shows have all kind of gone from like, Hey, have we recovered in the economy to, Hey, um, you know, are things still going well to, Hey, is there another recession coming? And now I feel like they're saying like, when is the next recession? And, you know, maybe they're just like, they know what it takes to kind of drag me in and keep me listening and whatever. And so maybe, you know, maybe there's not some sort of big economic crisis kind of looming. But I do think it's been 10 years, at least in the U.S., since we've had like a major recession. And I did just find out recently, by the way, that Australia hasn't had a recession in 30 years. So rock on, Australians. But uh, I was just kind of wondering, it got me thinking, like, if I do believe that a recession is coming up in, like, say, like, the next uh, one to two years, what kinds of things as a developer might I try to do career-wise to try and insulate myself from, like, a negative economic environment? That's... You should run a podcast where you get your name out there and <laughs> then people want to hire you. Busted. But you know what? In fairness, what you just said, like, in jest... Yeah, but in reality, make your name bigger than just a, a, a signature on a sheet of paper that you're handing to companies, right? If you put yourself out there, whether you're writing blog posts or you're doing videos or, or you're helping people on forums or whatever, like that stuff goes a long way eventually to, oh, I see this guy contributes. Oh, he, he makes good points and he communicates well. Like it's all things that become visible, right? I think that matters a lot. Yeah, I think that as that as well. And I kind of think like, you know, stocks, they talk about kind of diversifying. And so, you know, with the portfolio, like sometimes you want to have like a, a good mix of things that are like higher risk and lower risk. And so I kind of think of like as a developer, like now, you know, if you do think a, a colder climate is coming up, then you, know, you want to prepare for that winter, then you might want to d- diversify your kind of knowledge there. So this might be a time specifically when you may want to consider going a little bit wider because uh, certain sectors of the economy or whatever might be hit harder. And so um, if you have always worked in one particular domain, for example, like you've always worked um, for airlines or for cars or, or whatever, then that it might be a good time to think about shifting that domain. And same with technologies. Like if you've worked in Java for your entire career, now might be a good time to kind of think about trying to expand somewhere that makes sense for you. And so that was the only advice I really had, but I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, keep looking on job boards, see what technologies are hot. Yeah, and your and make yeah, and make sure. So, like you know, I kind of think if you've got 15 years of job on your experience, that year 16 isn't super valuable to you. So, if you are thinking about moving careers, and you know, maybe look for something that's going to uh, complement that. Yeah, and then uh, go to your bank and get all your money out and put it in your bed. Yeah, buy Bitcoin with it. Yeah, I was going to say definitely uh, invest in Bitcoin, yep. and then you'll be recession proof. You know what else I think is important is location. I know we talked about in the previous survey about, you know, we hope that, you know, it's not going to be as important to be in San Francisco in five years, right? But 
if you live out in the middle of the boondocks and there's no companies around, like maybe that's another thing too, right? Like find a place that's got a decent tech hub around it and move on over towards that area, right? Because if a recession does hit, chances are it'll be more likely that you can you can find some some work in that particular area. And then again, look at the job boards, find out what the what the technology is in that particular area and and polish up on it some. That hits on another point, like or you could just figure out how to do your job much better where you find more value than all your other competitors. And the next thing you know, you're the best company out there for that particular domain. And then all the other ones die, but you're there. So they still have to pay somebody. Well, even, even on a personal level, but you were about to say, Joe, go ahead. No, no. I was like, yeah, I was agreeing with my hands. I mean, even on a personal level, I, I feel like it's that too, right? If you, if you are somebody that is seen as valuable in your position and, and because you provide, because you have the good soft skills, because you, you know how to code well and you get things done and you do the right job of balancing effectiveness with, you know, timely deliveries and all that kind of stuff. You'll probably be gainfully employed. I mean, we've all lived through a recession. Were any of you guys unemployed during that time? Yeah. Were you? This is 1932. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. 2007, 2008. Yeah, 2007, 2008, 2009. Like, yeah, I was rocking it. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. That's what I was going to say. Like, a lot of times when you find people that are highly skilled and capable people, and people genuinely like to work with you because you provide high quality work, chances are you'll be okay, right? Don't be a pain in the butt to anybody. Don't, don't be that person that's hard to work with. Be somebody that's dependable and, and has a reputation for getting things done in a nice, good manner. That helps a lot. Yeah. I think we benefited from living in like kind of bigger cities though, too. Like I can't imagine what it's like if you live out in like, I don't know. It's like, the the middle of well, I'll say like, uh, Ocala, Florida, or somewhere that's kind of like the middle of the state that isn't a big tech hub. And if you're trying to compete with the people that are in the cities, and everyone's a, you know a little hungrier, a little bit leaner, then you're competing with those bigger agencies. Just the competitiveness is just is increased. So your things like your location and the languages you work with are gonna uh, it's just gonna be tougher. There's kind of like it's kind of like this living organism, right? That's it, constantly like a like a jellyfish, kind of like moving where you know, it, it contracts, contracts and expands, contracts and expands. Right. And so as, as you know, when the economy is like booming, right. So it's expanding and then the employee gets to have a little bit more say in what they want. Right. So it might be things like, uh, I want more money or I want more perks and benefits, like the ability to work from home, for example. Whereas when it's contracting, then the employers get to pull on those strings and be like, no, 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 no. I want you in house. You're going to come work in my office and I need you to live in this radius or you have to be willing to do this kind of travel or I'm not going to pay you except for this amount of money. Right. Like, you know, so it's constantly like, you know, going back and forth like that. Right. So when there is the recession, you just have to be willing to accept that that's, that that's what it is. That it's contracting and that, you know, the employers get to pull on the, 
the strings a little bit, and it's not your turn. Mm-hmm. Yep. I agree with that. I also watched a video. I think I might have shared with you guys recently the Arnold Schwarzenegger like motivational thing. Oh yeah, you must work every day. Yeah, work, work your tail off. Basically, is what it boiled down to. And organize I mean, your day. Organize your day. Like seriously, he he his his big thing was work your tail off, and and don't have a plan B. And that sounds so ridiculous, but if you work towards a particular goal and you have something in mind. That changes everything, right? Like, I mean, and I'm not saying it's perfect, right? Like, if if there are things that you want to try and do, go after them. Don't don't just let them lay there. Things don't happen just because, right? Like, like we're not at, at episode 100 because we just sat there and thought, hey, you know, it might be cool to do a podcast. We actually went after it, right? And it's that kind of of action when you actually go do things that make it happen. And I think that's the kind of stuff that will make you more recession proof, right? The fact that you are a person that goes and you learn and you gather these skills and you, and you create these relationships with people. And that's what will help you more than just about anything else. And of course we always say, you know, go to those meetups, listen to those podcasts, join those online communities where you kind of get introduced to new uh, ideas and meet up with people that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise in your normal day to day. It's kind of another way of diversifying. Yep, totally. This episode is brought to you by Stellar Res, the AI-powered talent agent for top tech talent. Hate your job or just kind of meh about it? Stellar Res will help you find a new job you'll actually be excited to go to. And Stellar Res knows that a job is much more than how it sounds in a description. So they built their AI-powered talent agent to help you find your ideal job. Stellarez does all the work in screening for you, scouting the best companies and roles and introducing you to opportunities outside your network that you wouldn't have found otherwise. Combining deep AI matching with human support, Stellarez pairs things down to a maximum of five opportunities that tightly match your goals, like compensation, uh, work-life balance, working on products you're passionate about, and team chemistry. They then facilitate warm intros, and there's never any pressure. Just opportunities to explore what's out there. To get started and find the job that's just right for you, visit stellares.ai slash coding blocks. That's S-T-E-L-L-A-R-E-S dot A-I slash coding blocks. All right, then I guess uh, on to the next one. This one's I this one's kind of sort of not completely coding related. But it's interesting. So John has recently picked up an HTC Vive. Uh, we have another buddy who's had one for probably about a year, and he's been trying to talk me into getting one for a while. And I was like, yeah, it's, I mean, come on, man. I've seen VR on a phone. It's all right. And, and so John corralled all of us and got us over to his place, and we tried it out. And, and I'd say that most of us were floored by it, right? Like, it was super cool. You, you want to, uh, yeah, it's gotten a lot better since the nineties. You know? <laughs> and even, you know, I got like the Oculus DK2. It's gotten, you know, and that was a few years ago and it's gotten a lot better since then. Like they figured out some things that, you know, if you tried it before and you got sick, like they figured out, you know, what causes that, you know, the resolution's gotten better, the refresh rate. I mean, they, you know, so it's like, it's getting up there to where. If you add enough of these things, you know, like maybe wireless, you know, a nice 
room scale, like I got like a 16 foot room scale setup. You know, you start becoming really immersed into it where you, it starts getting a little trippy where you think tables are real and you like put your arm on it and stuff like that. It starts to really trick your brain and then it, it's like magical. But yeah, it's really cool. I guess yeah, I was probably the biggest kind of naysayer about uh, VR. I definitely I t- like John is a trailblazer. And I tend to very much not be <laughs> like, I didn't think I would ever get a cell phone. And I, you know, I still kind of regret that decision, but uh, <laughs> go, going to the VR, I was like, I don't know. I, you know, I have a, a stigmatism in my eye. And so like 3d movies never look good to me. Like every other VR experience I've had has been really bad. Um, I just didn't think I was going to like it. Uh, and I mean, I put that thing on and the next thing you know, it's midnight and sounds yeah, like are you six hours stop? later. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, Oh, okay. Actually, uh, and it did still look a little weird, but I was able to kind of forget about it. And like, I don't know if my eyes adapted or, or, you know, maybe I'm just crazy or whatever, but I, I was, I went from yuck to yum with that experience. And so, uh, it's really changed how I think about VR and if you can kind of find a way to check that out. And I think it's definitely worth it. And what was most interesting to me is, uh, just how, knew the medium is that they're still kind of developing those um, interaction patterns. Like you remember when like 3d was kind of new for games and every game you would play, like you had to kind of really learn how to play. Cause like sometimes pushing left on the stick would rotate you left. And sometimes it would turn you left and sometimes it would, uh, you know, strafe or whatever. And it's cause they were still trying to figure out like what that pattern was supposed to look like. And like playing different games and different ways you move around different ways of doing things. Like it's very clear to me that, we're still very much in the beginning stages. And I'm thinking like, well, this is, you know, we're primarily playing video games now, but you could see how this could be like an organizational tool or um, especially for like um, visualizations and stuff like that. And I think there's just so much room for really cool and really different kinds of experiences that we've never been able to do before. It's a third think, dimension. Yeah, it's amazing. And it's weird, like looking at a, a monitor after you're done with it, like, oh man, the whole world is right in this flat thing. How boring. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I want it all around me, you know? But yeah. I mean, Outlaw, what were your thoughts when you first got it or, or when you first tried it out? I mean, I'm excited that it's finally gotten to where it's gotten. I'm with Joe though, that I, I was not, I'm not an early adopter and I didn't think that it would, uh, get to where it's gotten like, well, I should say I didn't think I would like it as well as I did. Um, like early experiences with like Oculus Rift, for example, like I was like, eh, yeah, just whatever. Uh, it just didn't. It was interesting. It was it was more gimmicky, kind of gadgety than anything else, right? Like it wasn't. It didn't make me want to like go out and spend a bunch of money on it, right? And. But then with the, the vibe setup, for example, the whole room, you know, experience, I'm with Joe, man. Like, oh my, it was just, it's, it's the whole room VR is different when you can walk around, like physically walk around and interact in that VR world. Uh, now I'm, it's a God, I've got to have one. I just. Yeah, and the precision too. Like yeah. They figured out, yeah. you know, maybe we don't want to track fingers. We'll give them these big devices and then they turn into lightsabers. And then when you touch the lightsabers and they vibrate and you're like, whoa, yeah. I really got lightsabers. It feels yeah. like it, right? They just keep adding more and more things to make it more real. And that's really cool. Yeah. I mean, the, the part that's sort of, I guess, intriguing to me is 
when Joe described how this, this whole thing worked, right? Like you put it on your head and you look and everything's like razor sharp in front of you, but looking around you is kind of weird, right? Like it, it almost has like this. And if you look at the lenses, they're shaped very concave like that or convex. No, they're concave. And, and so things are sort of not sharp. And this is one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up is you have the HTC Vive, the original. They had come out with the HTC Vive Pro recently, which ups the resolution and gets rid of like the ability to see the pixels. Like it's way sharper. Um, it's quite a bit more expensive. Like it's more than double the price of the regular Vive. Well, one thing that just came out at CES that was really interesting to me is they now have eye tracking. So what happens is you put these goggles on and if you turn, so like when Joe and I were talking about this before, because things are very clear directly in front of you, you have to learn sort of to turn your head to look at things as opposed to cutting your eyes over like you would in real life because that doesn't give you a great experience. Well, what they figured out how to do is track your eyes now. So when your eyes move, it tells the program where you're looking and it makes it sharp there. But then on the periphery, it blurs it out. And then that way you reduce the graphical processing on the outskirts of where you're looking at and it sharpens things like crazy what you're looking at. And they say that this technology is amazing. And so what I'm curious about is where we see this stuff going as programmers, as things going into the future. I, I think all of us maybe have tried HoloLens before. Um, and now that we've tried this virtual reality thing, do you think there's anywhere for coders? Like if, if you were going to go in on, on an experience, would you see yourself writing code for VR? Would you see yourself writing code for augmented reality? Something like the HoloLens? Like what, what do you guys see? Is this, is this something that we should care about or is it just some sort of fad, some sort of gimmick thing? I mean, I definitely want the ready player one experience. There is an app. So that I downloaded. They didn't get to try. There is a Ready Player One app, well, and you go in these different worlds and stuff. I mean, kind of, you need the full the haptic suit. The you need like yeah. that that uh, pad where you can walk in any direction. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in order to really make it happen, right? Yeah, holodeck. Uh, but um, would I would does it make me want to jump in and start programming VR? If that is, is that the question. Like, do we, do we think this is where the future of computing is going? So for instance, why did Facebook buy Oculus Rift? Right. If you think about it, what is Facebook? They're, they're a social networking company. They're all about, you know, managing the relationship between people and knowing what's going on. Why would they have bought a virtual reality thing? And my guess is, is because they want to be a part of what that world is. Everybody buys an Oculus, they put this thing on and they all interact in their virtual space, right? Now, Facebook as a company similar to Google with an advertising platform, if they want to advertise, they got a room set up and they, you know, GM comes to them and says, Hey, we got the new Corvette, you know, Hey, let's show it to people that have money to spend. They already have all the demographics. Hey, on that point too, by the way, I am not a, a social media guy. Like I rarely use social media. But with the VR thing, you get placed in a room with lots of other people. And next thing you know, you're playing basketball with random people or you're flying the Starship Enterprise. And so, like, I become very social with VR. 
And I'm, I'm not, I'm not like that in other mediums. So I thought that's kind of interesting so, that you point out the Facebook thing. So you think Facebook wants to create the ready player one kind of environment that you're saying that Zuckerberg is Halliday. <laughs> I don't know that I give him that much credit, but where is he? The one Oh ones. Yeah. But, I was going to say, or is he the six or is Facebook, uh, the one Oh ones, but, but seriously, the, you know, like I, I can totally see that becoming the the medium where they want people to interact, right? Like, do you, so do you guys remember what there was a name of an of of a virtual world? It was like third, uh, yeah, or second life. Yeah, that's second it. life. Yeah, and and people made gobs of money on that, right? Like people that were in there that owned real estate in this place could make money because other people would want to come and advertise on it and all that kind of stuff. Like I totally see that being like another place where people are going to start taking, taking real life things and putting them in the game, right? Like, Oh, you need a luxury car. Mercedes Benz is now, um, you know, advertising in your virtual space or something. I I don't know. I mean, I, that's already been a thing by the way. Like I, I remember IBM doing that in second life. See, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I, and the CDC did too. But yeah, like it, it just it makes me wonder if if we're at the beginning where this stuff is really going to start growing. And again, I think Facebook with Oculus Rift, I think their goal, and they actually have special apps, and I, I don't know what they are because I don't have an Oculus. But I think that's where a lot of things are headed. And I'm just curious are we are we looking at something like Ready Player One, where people live in this virtual world? Or where do we think it's going? Is it something more like HoloLens and Google Glass to where you just wear this visor type thing or you have on these glasses okay. much lo- like the demon? Yes. Okay, so so we're saying then, like, is it going to be like you have these two worlds? Are we all in for Ready Player One or are we augmented like the demon? And, you know, well... Okay, so one I want to say, like I, I want to correct a thing. It wasn't the I said the one on ones. I meant IOI in the Ready Ready Player One world. It would be a little bit sad though. As cool as the Ready Player One world is, though, like if that's all you did was you never physically interacted with anyone, that would be kind of sad, right? I could see it though. I I know you totally can. Yeah. Uh, look, look, look. We're definitely closing in as a society where we're not as like open as we were. You know, you're not like sitting out on your porch saying hi to your neighbors. Instead, you're sitting behind your computer or behind your phone, uh, you know, saying hi online on one of the many social platforms, right? I mean, how many times have you gone to a restaurant and seen like literally seen a, a table full of teenagers sitting together all on their phones. I was going to say, how many times have you been one of the people sitting at the table where everybody's? I don't. I don't allow it in my family. We uh, we actually we put our phones away when it when we go out and we go do things. We put our phones away. But but I mean, it's weird. Like I I don't know exactly where it's headed, but it's really interesting to think about as coders. Like we're creating these worlds and we're creating these interactions, and I wouldn't be surprised if at some point it's not going to be like an inverse. You're going to be creating applications to pull people away from their devices, right? As opposed to trying to immerse them. Like it's almost, it's almost like people who pay to go to a gym, 
right? They pay to go to a gym because they don't want the exercise equipment at their home because they're not going to use it or they're not. So they pay to get out and do it, force themselves to do it, right? So I can almost see the same happening on the, uh, on the opposite side of the coin where, you know, you're forcing yourself away from your devices somehow. Like you're paying to get away from your device because you know that it's a problem. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's interesting, but back to the VR and the virtual thing. Like, I honestly think that like we're at a point where if you're a coder and you're halfway interested in these, like it's all stuff that's still being figured out to Joe's point, right? Like they're trying to figure out the mechanisms, the controls, but once it happens, it's going to explode, especially when these devices become more affordable, right? Like the PSVR went on sale for 250 bucks with the headset and games during the, the holiday season. Yeah, I was actually really surprised how many there VR only games there were in Steam. Like I was just I've been buying one like every other day, essentially trying it out. And then to create a game, I mean you can just download Unity and you just throw in yep. some assets and then next thing you know you're you you can actually hit play and it plays on the on goggles. That's the crazy yeah. part, right? Like it's not it's not unrealistic to think that you could do something pretty quick because in unity it's all act- free too yeah they yeah. have a thing that literally shows you what it'll look like yeah right the two lenses and it's rendering to both of them and you're walking down a hallway well you can actually render in real time too like i had my wife with the glasses on laying on the floor while i was putting objects in the scene in real time and she was interacting with them and stuff like that but yeah it's, it's crazy cool. yeah yeah, it's Dustin. Yeah, I think, um, uh, I don't know, just the usability patterns are so interesting to me. I can imagine like a day is going to come when I'm looking at a code base and rather than me like now where I kind of clone that thing, open it up at ID and like start searching around for like the index file or the main file. Maybe, you know, maybe there's a day where I can kind of look at the system holistically and like kind of visualize like here's the front end and here's where the kind of codes are. And so I can kind of explore the project from almost like a UI perspective and say like, hey, click on this thing and take me to the parts or show me all the parts that are relevant into the construction yeah. of this widget or whatever. So I, I just think like we're still figuring out what that experiences, what those experiences can look like. I think the, 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 the sky is the limit. So wait, are you thinking like minority report? Yeah. I think, yeah, maybe. Maybe one day, and it's not necessarily that that's that yeah. VR is a requirement of that, but just the amount of creativity that I yeah. saw in a couple hours of you know playing around is yeah. What you're hinting on as a developer, we're constantly trying to push the boundaries of user experience and making it better. And this is kind of like the extreme end, and it's kind of like, well, will we ever get there? You know, maybe we will. Yeah, I mean, think about this, right? Like we talked about the fact that. That remote work now is, is way better than it ever was. And it's enabled. Imagine you go into a meeting and you all put on your thing and you're in a room and you're looking at a board and you're drawing on a whiteboard. Like this is not unrealistic, right? Like you could literally have a board and write on the whiteboard and everybody's standing there looking at it. Right. Wait a minute. Like, if I got to go in your scenario, if I got to go into an office and then put the headset on <laughs> to participate, I'm going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> that you made they, me do that. They have that game. That's a game. Virtual office where you go into uh, right, a virtual yeah, office and you do. staple things. I'm okay yeah. with going into a virtual office, but if I had to go into an actual office. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Nobody wants to do that. But I mean, when you think about the interactions between people and like you said, modeling, right? Things like that. What if what if you had some sort of CAD type interactions where you could show off the pieces of it and literally just do it in, in your virtual world? It's, it's pretty cool stuff. 
They do have a, a code view. That was one of the apps too I saw, where it just shows your code and tree structure in three dimensions, right? And you're able to interact with it. Oh, that's cool. I haven't seen that one. And where you can spray paint in 3D. And I mean, it's just kind of neat having that extra dimension and then having that immersion where it's all around you instead of just a little square. Yeah. I thought I would get more fatigued too, but like, yeah, I was really in there for hours and just didn't realize like there's no clocks, you know, in there. I didn't see anything. So I didn't know that it gotten so late. And John was like, hey, well, try this one, try that one. And next thing it's like, Hey, wait, why do my feet kind of hurt? That's the problem. Yeah. After you stand it up for four hours, oh, like, wait a It's a great exercise too. Some of the games. Oh, dude. Oh, Beat Saber is amazing. Yeah. I've seen yeah. MVP do some pretty amazing things with Beat Saber. So yeah. Gorn, I will literally start sweating, like <laughs> wrenched in sweat because you're like in an arena, like with the axes chopping up, you know, other gladiators and stuff. It, yeah. It's absolutely crazy. And what you said earlier is the funny part is you look at a flat screen, like if you have the Vive on, you can have it do marrying, right? So you can see what's happening on your monitor. Yeah. And it's not, it's not, not the, the same. same. Yeah. If you put on that headset, you're there. When you're looking at the monitor, it looks cool. But yeah. like uh, Space Pirate Trainer is a great one that, that I'll, I'll put on just randomly because it's like you could, like you're shooting at these things flying all around you, right? And, and you're there. You need everything to work, even like headphones, you know, and I mean, the precision you need. I mean, there's so many pieces that go into making a quality VR experience and they're just like, improving it every you know year it seems like and so the opportunities are there like if if you have half an interest in any kind of game development or interactive environment development not you know that that's different than what's already out there man like this is a great time to get on on it like you said unity's probably and i know joe you've mentioned it in the past as well right like you've played with some unity stuff man you want to talk about a free tool set that allows you to kind of do stuff that is just mm-hmm insane yeah it's crazy and un- unreal i think is is free up to a level two but mm-hmm. i think we lean towards unity because it you can do it in c sharp yes and stuff, but yeah and doesn't it doesn't it compile down to c or because unity is cross-platform for the most part right it could, yeah you can set the targets for it and it'll compile to those native targets so it'll do web assembly too web assembly yeah oh yeah. Ah, interesting. Full circle, guys. Yep. Which, by the way, WebAssembly is a little frustrating because it will run on a phone, but it most of them don't work. Like it'll, yeah, it'll, it'll even tell you. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that comes around at some point in the future. But you know, one thing I kind of noticed too is like, you know, like if I'm playing a AAA game, like I might play Spider Man or, or you know whatever Pokemon. Let's go uh, for you know I don't know, say four hours or six hours stretch. I have a hard time imagining playing one game for four hours or six hours in, in VR. Maybe that's going to change. And I don't, I'm not saying that I don't, I can't play for it, you know, games for a long block, but it just seems really valuable and like a really good experience to be able to pop into like space trainer for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. Can you imagine how buff I'm going to be though? If I play <laughs> yeah. Heat Saber for six hours. Yeah. Yeah. Feel it. You'll feel it. You know, what's funny though. I will say I've had more interest and desire to play games like John, like what you were saying. Yeah. Since I've gotten the VR because that level of immersion just doesn't exist on on any other kind of system. Yeah. When I sit at a computer, I'm like, oh man, I'm working, aren't I? I'm doing homework for school or something, you know? Right. But in the VR, it's like, no, no, I'm nowhere near the computer. <laughs> you know? You know yeah. we're near reality. Like yeah. you jump in there and if you're playing the space trainer, the space pirate trainer you're yeah. in outer space. My my heartbeat will come out of my chest playing Space Pirate Trainer. Yeah, that that game's so much fun. And, and like, 
Because you're like dodging and weaving and jumping around things and like shooting around. Yeah, it's crazy. A cool application of like practical use is virtual, uh, the Google Earth. Oh, yeah. Dude. That's so cool. It's very trippy. Yeah. I mean, I've literally gone back to places I grew up in Germany and I could like, you know, say, hey, that's where I lived. And that's, you know, there's a mountain and you can warp all over the world and and look at stuff like you can. Google has reconstructed the earth in virtual reality. And it's free. It's totally free. Yeah. I just want to clarify because like you might have just blown a lot of people's mind, but yes, Alan grew up in Germany. So like some of you probably recognize that's where his accent. That's my German accent. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Totally. So, <laughs> but if you remember, right, I'm a California biker dude. So, mm. so at least that's all in perspective it, now. It's British. This British. And yeah, born in Britain. <laughs> Be shocked everybody. But yeah, I mean, just that's like one of the practical things that I know I've heard in, um, in like HoloLens, one of the applications that was super popular was companies that do design work, like kitchen design work or remodeling, right? Hey, let's see what these cabinets look like on your wall, right? And then they put them up there. Like yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff is crazy. That mixed reality stuff is amazing too. I mean, like that uh, that magic leaper or whatever, it detects all the surfaces. So you can put blocks on surfaces and stuff. And I mean, it's just... That's a totally different thing. That too. stuff hurts my brain to think yeah. about how well that works. Like, it, like you place something in one spot, you turn around, mm. you walk around the room, and you look back over there, and it's yeah. still in that spot. Yeah, you can like make a call, and like there'll be a person standing there, and you can walk around them and stuff. You know, think you about the there. math behind that, right? Yeah. Good lord. But all right, so that that I just wanted to do that because I think it is an interesting time for the for development and for making of things that that man the, the sky and your imagination is sort of the limit now well let me uh let's just wrap this up. I want to give you one more joke. I like that a software tester walks into a bar, orders a beer, orders ten beers. Orders 2.5 billion, 2.15 billion beers. Orders negative one beers. Orders a nothing. Orders a cat. Tried to leave without paying. And? That's a good one. What's a software tester? And then? Yes. I like it. That's a good one. I like like this one. one. Yes. That's a good one. (laughs) They broke everything. Yes. (laughs) So that one comes to us from Abdul Rahman. Thank you. I'm embarrassed that one took me a second to get. (laughs) (laughs) I did kind of trip up on on the float. I I messed that one up, but yeah, whatever. Try as you may. All right. So with that, uh, we will have some uh, links to some of the references and articles and whatnot that we have referenced in the episode. And with that, let's head to Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. All right, and I'm going to go first for some reason again. And uh, I'm going to go with GetShareX.com, which is a tip given to me by my buddy Vincent Tang in Orlando, who I don't think listens to the show, but maybe maybe they will now if I tell them that they're on it. Uh, and GetShareX is um, it's kind of like a Jing competitor, but it does a lot of other stuff too. And so you can get like, um, you know, pictures of your desktop, videos, th- things like that. And uh, it doesn't, well, like Jing, which is uh, also free. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> give you the video in flash format, so that's really nice. Uh, it's just a really nice tool. It's free and open source, and it looks really good. So uh, I just started have, uh, recently giving a shot 
and uh, it's Windows only though. So, you know, there's that. But I really like it so far, and I'm looking forward to getting even more used to it. Thanks, Vincent. Yeah, I have to give that a give that a try. All right. Well, for my tip of the week, uh, this one comes to us from our tip hotline. So, uh, if you would like to leave us a tip that we can share, you can visit www.codingblocks.net/tips. And this one comes to us from uh, Leitris. Cthulhu and it is go to web.dev. So you, we've all used tools for web development. Like I uh, remember the Yahoo's Y slow back in the day, right? Google has the page speed insights and then like pingdom has the website speed test. So this is in that same kind of vein, uh, but just measuring your app in, in just from the sheer shortness of the URL, like it wins. Right. It's so clear. All right. Good one. So with that, uh, we will say, uh, Hey, we hope you've enjoyed the show. Thank you, John, for joining us. And, uh, don't forget to leave a comment for a chance to win, uh, you know, <laughs> some dollars here. Uh, oh, look at this shirt. That's awesome. Uh, awesome. Oh, I totally forgot. <laughs> uh, now who's trolling who? Oh, that's amazing. Such uh, a better logo. You're definitely going to have to, uh, I encourage you to go to this episode's video on YouTube to see what just happened. Uh, but with that, in case if you, you know, if a friend let you borrow their device or pointed you in this direction, however you came to hear us, if you, haven't already be sure to subscribe to us on itunes stitcher and more using your favorite podcast app and uh if you haven't already left us a review like alan said earlier uh, we really do appreciate it you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review and while you're up there make sure you do check out our show notes examples discussions and more and send your feedback, questions, and rants to the Slack channel, uh, codingblocks.slack.com. And if the join the Slack button link isn't working for you, then uh, you can send us an email or something and we'll hook you up. And uh, make sure to follow us on Twitter because after hearing all those numbers, it's you know just kind of depressing. Uh, so, <laughs> like, hey, you follow us, we'll follow you uh, if we remember. And if not, just DM us and then we'll, <laughs> then we'll follow you. And you can also head over to codingblocks.net where you can find more and all our social links at the top of the page and don't forget to you know like linkedin us and all that stuff that makes us feel good and uh you know we're lonely i guess <laughs> oh come on you gotta go out like that <laughs> don't let us go out like that come on <laughs> this is fun guys this is fun no this is really cool you guys are awesome you guys are my favorite podcast. I listen to you guys all the time now. Awesome. Uh, nice. It was all nice right. meeting everybody. As if it was on cue. It was nice meeting everybody. All the listeners. It was nice meeting you. See you on the internet. We're in VR. Yeah. Yeah.